O-L-D-S, Old Mobility, glamorous new. Old Mobility, powerful, yes. Old Mobility in Old 458. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Season 2 of Talking About Cars. I'm Randy Cardoon. I'm so glad you joined us. And here at Talking About Cars, it's all about Everybody has a car story, from celebrities to car personalities to the rest of us who bring our cars to car shows, even those who don't bring our cars to car shows just like to check them out and see what's there. And with that in mind, coming up, we will pay tribute to the late king of the customizers himself, George Barris, including an interview I did with George earlier this year on something we will call Talking About Cars Classic. We will also share some of the sentiments from the George Barris Public Memorial that took place this past weekend. But first... I love this show. Kick back and enjoy this ride. I'm Wayne Carini, and I chase cars. I find them, oh my God. I buy them, and I sell them. It's all about the chase. 13.9 million. Whoa! Our first guest... Welcome to Talking About Cars, a car guy you probably know a little about. But there are several things you may not know about Wayne Carini of Chasing Classic Cars fame. So, Wayne, where exactly does your car story start? Well, my dad uh, started a restoration business back in the 50s, actually, and he was the founder of the Model A Restores Club of America. So we were always uh, had uh, Model A Fords for sure. And then he also restored Duesenbergs and Lincolns and Packards and things like that. So we were surrounded by that type of a car. Up the street from my uh, parents' house was Candy Pool Sports Car Shop. And Candy Pool was a racer, and he had every type of European car. So there was Maseratis and Ferraris and Porsches and Oscars and, and great cars like that. And then my cousin, uh, who... Uh, lived and, and uh, worked up at my father's shop also, he built hot rods. So I was surrounded by different cars in every different a- uh, aspect, uh, less than a mile from our home. So I think that that had a lot to do with uh, what rounded my uh, liking of so many different types of cars. Do you remember the first time you got into a hot rod? I mean, were you a kid taken for a ride? What kind of thrill that must have been? I was uh, probably five years old, and my cousin uh, uh, scared me to death in his hot rod, you know, and that was his job, you know, scare Wayne to death. You know, it was, part, it was on the list of things to do. You know, the first time he always had a hot rod done, I was the guinea pig. He'd put me in the car to go for the test drive with him, you know. So there was a constant breaking down, you know. We would drive down the street and go like heck, and then uh, suddenly the car would break down, and, and then I'd have to I'd have to walk home, you know, and get gas or something like that. It <laughs> sounds like it was in your family's DNA. Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, cars have been, you know, and it's but it's but it's been a wonderful thing. When you got into cars, what was your first one? Was it the same one you had in high school? No, my first car. Uh, we were fortunate. We I grew up on a three hundred acre farm, and so it was all uh, apples and peaches and pears uh, orchards. And so all, all, we had lot cars. So when I was about eight years old, I got my first official lot car, which was a 51 Chevy that I bought for $25. And it was my car that I could rip around the woods in. And so uh, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a very special car to me. And then, of course, what happens is you wear these lot cars out. So, uh, unfortunately, the brakes let go, and, and you have to hit a tree to stop and things like that, or you pull it into a ditch, and so and then it stays there, and you just get another lot car, you know. So I love that. Have to hit a, hit a tree to stop. It happened once, and my sister was in the car, yeah. So I'm not supposed to take my sisters for rides in the car. That was the rule, but uh, my sister Lynn wanted to go for a ride. I lost the brakes. We're going down a hill, and I made her dive down on the floor, and we hit a tree. 
to stop. Otherwise, it was just going to continue to pick up speed. So we didn't hit it that fast. I was going probably 10, 15 miles an hour at the most. But that was still a lot of speed. Yeah. For those who were listening and, and don't get the concept of a lot car, explain that. So it's, it's a car that basically we ripped the muffler off of um, and, and drive it through the woods. Uh, so we had all these little roads that would go through the orchards. And so we'd get up there and, and spin the cars out and, you know, do all sorts of burnout things and donuts and things like that. And, and it was it was just so much fun. We'd laugh so hard and just have such a great time. Didn't have to worry about licensing those cars, I don't think. No, no. We're on the family farm, so I'd ride my bicycle up to the family farm from our house, which is about a mile away, and, and I'd be able to just get in the car anytime I wanted to and just drive around. I'm eight years old, so that continued. Uh, and I'm sorry. You said you were eight years old and you were driving the cars? Eight years old, yeah. Well, we learned how to drive tractors because, of course, when you're on a farm, as long as your feet could could touch and, and, and all your you know your body parts work properly, you, you could uh, drive a tractor because you were cheap labor so uh, you know they wanted you to be able to drive the tractor yeah. and so we we had pickers that came in and they would pick all the apples and peaches and pears and i would drive the tractor that all the baskets were put on a trailer behind and i was i was the cheap labor to do that that's great though eight years old driving a car and and uh, you know having basically you could do anything with it yeah we could and then of course we graduated to to stealing um, my parents cars you know so at uh, at 12 years old i had my own keys made to my mom's osmobile so uh, they would go out to the movies on wednesday nights like clockwork and i would take the car out from the garage and i'd go cruising stealing sounds so criminal wouldn't like Borrowing be a better word? Well, my father seemed to call it stealing. <laughs> I sort of told him I was borrowing it, but he, did, he didn't go for that. And, and, and No, he didn't buy that. But, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was a crazy time, a different different time in life, though, different time in the era of, of, of all of our lives. You know, back in the, in the 60s, this was. So, uh, you know, we're talking about 1963. My mother was on the Price is Right in 1961, and she she won all these prizes. She won a jet boat, and my father immediately traded it in on a 61 Oldsmobile Starfire convertible, which was a phenomenal car. Right. Phenomenal. You guys weren't into boats. No, we weren't into boats, but certainly into cars. No, tell me what you remember about her being on the Price is Right. Tonight, these four people need to compete for the prizes of a lifetime on... The Price is Right. And now your host on The Price is Right, Bill Cullen. Bill Cullen, yeah, yeah. So she was the champion for the first week, won a mink stole and, and a, you know, table, uh, a television, a color television and all these things. Second week, my father was on with her because uh, she won a prize which... which uh, made it uh, optional if you you wanted to earn some extra money so they asked my mother do you like uh, red would your would your husband say he likes redheads blondes or brunettes right. and then the dog what kind of dog and he got all the questions wrong <laughs> and bill collins said bob i feel really bad for you here's 500 dollars anyways because you're going to need it <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it was a wonderful thing, you know. And, and what's really cool is is that now I'm on television, and I, you know we we are always very proud of my mother to be on this Price Is Right show mm -hmm. and be on TV. We were like the celebrities in town because she was that way. Sure. And and uh, fortunately, uh, unfortunately, she had a stroke. But fortunately, before she had her stroke, she was able to see that I'd been on television too. Very cool. Yeah. Very nice. What was the car you had in high school? So I. 
I initially started with a 66 MGB. Uh, my first car was actually an MG 1100, which I immediately blew the engine on. And uh, then I was able to buy a 66 MGB. And uh, I, I restored that car to perfection. It was unbelievable. Um, and then drove that during high school. And then in my junior year of high school, uh, a woman asked if, if I'd trade for her 66 Corvette Coupe, the 66 MGB. And, and I said, what do you mean, trade? She says, even. I like your car. Um, I'd like to trade you even. So I traded even uh-huh. for a Corvette. Now, this is a guy's dream, right, to have a Corvette in high school. Uh-huh. I didn't think about ramifications. I asked my dad if I could do it, and he says, yeah, but just remember the insurance that yeah. goes with registering this car. And being in high school, yeah. And I couldn't get the insurance. Nobody, nobody would sell me insurance to insure a, you know, a 16, 17-year-old with a Corvette. Yeah. So uh, we sold the Corvette, and, uh, and and I thought I was the richest kid in the world because the guy paid me in twenty dollar bills. I think I th- I think I think he paid me forty five hundred dollars or something like that, and it was all in twenties. And I was I, I I laid it on my bed, you know, in my yeah. room, and I looked at it. I said, "Man, I'm the richest person in the world," you know. And I with that money, I bought a, a Volkswagen, and I finished uh, uh, my high school with a with a '63 Volkswagen, and uh, that was it. Normally, this is a question that would sound a little odd, but because you mentioned you were driving at the age of eight, the first car you had, were you in high school at the time? Um, no. I mean, you know, we had many, many cars before high school. Well, you mentioned the MG or the first MG. Yeah, yeah. So I had an MG 1100. We went to the MGB, the Corvette, and then a Volkswagen. I found that I found too that I was getting more dates when I had the Volkswagen than when I had the Corvette because the girls were a little. Uh, maybe a little cautious of going out with a guy with a Corvette. So I ended up having many, many more dates with an old beat-up Volkswagen than a Corvette. See you guys out there listening to this show. Volkswagens, are the, they, they have their place, definitely. We watch your show, and, of course, you have your business, and we always marvel over the cars you have in that business because they're so cool and you have so many different kinds. Personally, what kind of cars are in your garage? Um, uh, probably our favorite car is a Bentley, 26 Bentley, 3-liter touring car. A uh, phenomenal car to drive, and, and the whole family enjoys going out for riding it. And I think that's probably the reason why it's our favorite. We have uh, a, a Stutz Bearcat that we just bought, which was on our episode, uh, uh, 21 Stutz Bearcat with 11,000 miles. Uh, I'm the second owner of the car. So it's a pretty cool, wow. pretty cool deal to find a car like that. It was parked in 1931, and I found it. How did you find it? There was a guy uh, turkey hunting uh, down in Georgia on a farm, and he looked in the in the window of the barn, and he, and he sees it in there and asks uh, what that car is. And the guy says, well, yeah, I inherited this farm from my father, and uh, he inherited it from this general that was in the Army, and that car has been in the garage since 1931. And so we ended up buying the car and bringing it to Pebble Beach and winning a great award with it. But that's one of the great cars. We have a Hudson Italia, Studebakers, we, we, a little bit of everything. And, uh, but, and, and people always ask me how many cars we have, and my answer always is, well, we have way too many but never enough. <laughs> you know, it's always fascinating to me is how you find these cars. Granted, I'm sure you get a certain amount of people who've seen your show. They know you because of that and, and maybe because of your business. But the whole concept of finding these cars out there in barns or anywhere else and somehow ending up in the hands of somebody who can do something with them always fascinates me. Well, and, and, and you know, that's that's the tagline of our show. It's, it's all about the chase. Uh, so that's the exciting part. And a f- good friend of mine, Richie Klein, always said, you know, 
once you buy a car and you chase it and you're able to acquire it and then you drive it a little bit and then you park it, they just became another can of peas on the shelf, unfortunately, you know. And, and uh, you, you're always looking, and people say, what's the best car? The next car is the best car because it's always exciting. When you have cars and you, you of course, as we all do, you've sold them, had access, you know, gotten rid of them for whatever reason. Is there a car in your past that you wish you could get back? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of those cars, you know, a lot of those cars uh, for, for many reasons, financial reasons. Sometimes, you know, you sell a little too early. Um, but there's there's certain cars that have uh, a special meaning sometimes, and, and so you you always want to get that particular car back, and I've been able to buy some, some of those cars back. Uh, one of the cars I regretted was a little Alpha Julietta Spider that uh, I sold uh, to a, a friend of mine, and he, he really pressured me into selling it to him. And so I said, okay, well, all right, I'll sell it, but you got to sell it back to me in case. So he, he had it for about a year and a half, and he called me and says, okay, will you give me the same amount of money? that you, I paid you, and I said, of course not. <laughs> yeah, I've got to get a little break on it, so, so I did, did end up buying it back, and, and now um, we have a, a special needs trust for our autistic daughter, and so those special cars are all in her trust. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah. That's very nice. Um, do you remember seeing the uh, advertisement that Chevrolet did about the, the father that got rid of the 65 Impala, his kids went out and somehow found it, um, that whole concept of trying to find people or people trying to find cars that they used to have, is that even, since you've been doing something like that, does that make any sense that that could happen? It, you know, it's very difficult unless it's a, it's a really a low production car. So, you know, and I have people contact me constantly about this, you know, at least twice or three times a week, you know, she's like to find dad's old car or the car that my mom used to drive or this or that. And what is it? Well, it was a Chevrolet Impala, you know, built in 1965. And here's the chassis number. Well, they, they made a zillion of those cars. And so it's very, very difficult to track that down. If if it's a if it's a low production car, for instance, uh, the episode about Herb Chambers and we found his old Daytona Spider, well, they made only 122 of those cars. So to find his old Spider, we had one in 122 chances out there finding the car, and fortunately we were able to find that car. It wasn't really our mission, but yet it was always on the back of my mind on the radar. And and when I found out the chassis number, we we went out and we bought it from the person. You ever thought about that Corvette? You ever thought about uh, the one you got and couldn't drive because of the insurance costs? And then you ever thought of getting something like that? Yeah, you know, um, I always loved that car. You know, 66 maroon Corvette with the spinner uh, uh, hubcaps, you know, redline tires. I mean, it, it was a very, very cool-looking car. Um, I was able to drive it a couple of times. My father's dealer played on it, you know, so I took it to the junior prom. I did those things. But um it was a cool car, but whether I'd like to chase it down again, probably not. It's one of those cars that, okay, it's gone. Uh, but there's certain cars that yeah, you certainly would love to, to, to uh, be able to buy back. Leads me to the next question. You've, you can get any car, and you probably have <laughs> over, your, over your show. Is there a car out there, assuming price was no object, and you could do that? Is there a car out there you haven't had that you would really is number one on your list? 
Well, there's a couple. There's an HC Alpha that uh, John Mozart owns, and, and uh, I think it's probably one of the most gorgeous uh, cars ever built and most powerful, and, and you know, for the era, uh, we're talking 30s Alpha. And matter of fact, I was on the Colorado Grand this year, and John was driving that car in the Colorado Grand. It was all muddy and dirty and rain-soaked, you know, but it's really cool to see a car like that that's one pebble beach, and now he takes it out and he uses it. And that car is unobtainable. Uh, but the, the probably the most uh, obtainable car that I would ever want to buy is a 250 short wheelbase Ferrari 1960 250 short wheelbase. I've been able to restore eight of them for clients, so I've been able to see the cars and use them and drive them. And to me, it's the most beautiful, purpose-built little race car uh, that you could drive to the racetrack, race it, and then uh, drive it home. And uh, its balance is so good. I mean, when you're talking guys that can afford to buy most cars and they're great drivers. So Bobby Rahal is a good example. Bobby's a great friend of mine. And the one car that he has in his collection that he loves the most is a short wheelbase Ferrari because it drives so well. Uh, you've had so many opportunities to have personality cars, cars that are unusual, people, uh, famous people's cars. Um, I believe on a show recently, uh, I think they were talking about the one with the Janis Joplin car. Give me the story of the Janis Joplin car. So Janis Joplin uh, bought this 1964 Porsche 356 SC cab um, after seeing another Porsche in, in the Haight-Ashbury section of San Francisco uh, and was painted with flowers all over it. And she decided that she wanted to have something very similar. So she went out and bought a four-year-old, this is a 1968 four-year-old Porsche SC cab. And she gave it to one of her roadies. And it was very artistic. And she says, paint something on it. Make it look wild and crazy. And here's 500 bucks. And, and uh, do what you can. And so he came out with this great paint scheme that's on the car, which basically tells the, the, the basically the story of the universe. And, and, you know, so it's got a picture of Marin County and it's got, it's got all these things on it and it's a great paint job. So the cars come up for sale right now. And so we decided to do a story on that car and uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful car. So it's a car that's an automobile. It's a piece of art that you normally would say hanging on the wall. And it's a piece of rock and roll history because it was Janis Joplin's car, and that was her everyday driver. Wow. So uh, it, it's got great history. Uh, it's, it belongs to her brother and sister, and they've decided to sell the car after being 20 years in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. I always wonder, just going back just a little bit, when you were doing that, when the concept came up to do the show, how did that transition from, you know, you were doing cars, you were fixing up cars. How did you get into chasing classic cars? It was, it was a great story that um, uh, I bought a Hudson Italia, which is a really unusual car. They made 25, and uh, mine's number 13. And uh, I was able to buy that car. I, I chased it some, since I was 16 years old, and I bought it when I was 52. And I kept after that car. Um, and I was able to purchase it. Donald Osborne, who's a great friend of mine and a great writer, um, and he's also on Jay Leno's new show, um, he wrote an article that appeared in the New York Times about that chase, that pursuit of all those years. And Jim Ostrowski, who's the head of our production company, uh, read the article on Sunday, called me Monday morning, and said, I'd like to do a TV show about you. I said, well, for what reason? And he said, well, you sound like a pretty interesting guy. I've made a few phone calls this morning. Everybody says you're a nice guy. Uh, can I come up and talk to you? So Jim arrived uh, about an hour later. We sat in our office, my office, for about 10 minutes. He told me his concept to basically follow me around with a camera. I would have to know no lines. There would be no script. There would be nothing. He just wants to document what I do. Um, and that was nine years ago. 
Can you believe if someone had said to you 10 years ago that you would be like this major media star, if you will, when it comes to cars, uh, would you buy that? No, never, never. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not an actor. I'm not a, you know, I, I'm not a good speech uh, a person that, that can go out and give a major speech somewhere. Um, I had no acting skills at all. But it's not acting. This is reality. And that's the deal I made with Jim. I said, if you want to film me, but don't get in my way. I'm doing my business. And if people seem to like that, well, it's taken off and it's become a, a huge success. Um, and Shauna, who was with Discovery, she was the head of, of all the programming. Um, when she first gave us that option to do a, a series, uh, she, she took me aside and she warned me. She says, your life's about to change. And I said, why is that? She says, everyone will know who you are within six months. And she was correct uh, within six months and then a year. And after two years, it was just huge. So it was, hey, car guy. Then it was, hey, aren't you that guy on TV? <laughs> and then it was, hey, Wayne, everybody knows your first name. And, and uh, it, it's pretty wild. Yeah. And that's a good thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's really wild. It's really crazy. We're, we're in now 37 countries. So it's one of the shows that Discovery has that sells it internationally. So it's, it's one of the most popular uh, automobile shows in all of Europe and South America, Russia. Where do you want this show to go? Is it just continuing along its way? Are there cars that you know that are out there that really propel you as far as chasing after those classic cars? Well, I think uh, I think the next step is is to actually go and do some other things like in Europe and South America. We'd love to do some things like that and visit other countries that we know that we have fans as well as there's great cars there. Um, we are going to go back and do the uh, the uh, London to Brighton rally again next year. We're going to hopefully do the Mille Mille. Um, so do some rally and do some events, but it, it, take a different spin on it because it's pretty boring watching somebody just drive a car all day yeah. in a rally. True. So there has to be more to it. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put a little more spice into it. Last thought. People are sitting here and watching your show, and it's always funny because you watch people do things. It always looks easy. It, always, it can't be that difficult. It's on TV. If you were going to give anybody an ad, advice as far as, hey, I want to try something like that, I want to do something like that, I want to find a special car, what advice would you give them? Well, what you have to do is go and buy something that you like or get involved with the cars that you like because, uh, you know, television just doesn't happen for everybody. I'm, I'm a very, very fortunate person to have this happen to me. Uh, but yet, if you just buy the cars you like, don't worry about investment, don't worry about the financial aspect that, that you're buying a car that everybody else wants too. Buy something that you like that's a little different maybe. You know, so if everybody's buying Chevrolets and there's nothing wrong with Chevrolets or Fords, but buy a Studebaker. Buy a, buy a Hudson, something like that. Um, you become the person that they all look at, you know, rather than the masses. So, you know, with a hundred Model A's lined up and then you have a, you know, a, a Willie's Knight or something like that. Um, Everybody's going to want to come and talk to you. And, and so I just bought a little Nash station wagon, an Aeroflight station wagon, 1952. It's the most unusual car. I take it to a car show, and people are stepping on the other cars to see this car. It's just an old, funky little station wagon. But it's unusual, and nobody sees it. So unusual cars, I think, is the best, uh, best advice I can give. Wayne Carini from Chasing Classic Cars. Thanks again for being with us. And that is so true. When you go to a car show, what did I talk about earlier? Where do you migrate first? Do you take a look at the guys with the 20 mid-50s Chevy sitting there, or do you go to the guy that has the Oldsmobile you never see, or the rarely seen Mercuries, or the bathtub Nashes? By the way, I like Tri-5 Chevys, don't get me wrong, 
but they're everywhere, and they're really nice. But it's always interesting to see a car you just don't see everywhere. Thanks again for joining us here on Talking About Cars on Podcast One and iTunes. Tell your friends about this if you like it. And also, we encourage you to respond and let us know what you think about the show. You can email us at talkingaboutcars at gmail.com. You could also find us on Facebook. We have a page on Instagram. And we're also on Twitter at Talk N, the letter N, about cars. Talk N about cars on Twitter. All right, by now you've heard about the passing of the king of customizers, George Barris, at his home at the age of 89. George was a character. You knew he was. He had a hand in creating so many iconic cars in Hollywood and not in Hollywood. At his Barris custom shop in Toluca Lake, he had, and and I've shown pictures, and if you ever take a look at uh, the Twitter page and some of the other places, I posted when I interviewed him back in April. He had rooms filled with toys of the cars he created. If you've ever had a chance to see the Barris Custom Shop, you know what I'm talking about. Let let me put it this way. If you haven't seen it, remember how your room looked when you had all your toy cars out and then your mom got all upset because they wanted you to clean it up because it was basically, as she put it, a disaster? I believe my mother actually did say that, kind of think of it. Earlier this year... April, I had a chance to talk to George in his room full of his toy cars. And I started it off by asking George how it all started. Hot little 32 Ford that I made that had, I went ahead and changed the taillights and I made it a K for custom. Now, if I was only smart enough, I should have taken that K for custom, went to an attorney and registered it, because you know how much I would be making today for the word customs with a K, uh-huh. not with a C, in our good old days with customs with a K. It was enjoyable. Shocking that in high school we weren't thinking like businessmen. Not at all. I mean, uh, in fact, I think uh, if you now if you remember, I got kicked out of every school because they wanted me to take cooking and sewing and all that. I says, no, I want to do cars. So we'd, uh, I was a good athlete, so I'd come in there with my 36 Ford, and we'd go ahead and practice his football, and then, boom, I'd go out by the railroad tracks. The man had a torch out there, and he, he threw a bunch of dollies and hammers to me. He said, here, kid, go ahead. You can learn and do it the right way. And I said, well, just show me how to light the torch, light the torch. And I went ahead and started welding and doing the different things that I could wanted to do and wanted to learn. And that's the way I did it along the railroad tracks in Sacramento, California. We were, we were a bunch of kids that had an enjoyable thing and enjoyed cars. And uh, that was what it was on our list. What did your parents drive around in? Well, they drove around in just a little old stock Ford because they weren't car people. But my 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 mother died when we were past real early. My aunt, she, I took the knobs off of her kitchen and used them for the grill, the big grill thing. <laughs> Where, you, where did you get these ideas? Just in a moment, as you're going through, you're going through the kitchen and you're working on a 30, 76 Ford, you say, my God, that grill cavity would look good. But look at those buttons and everything. Boom, 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 boom. I start unscrewing them, taking them out, <laughs> build a, a rod across the front of the grill cavity and screwed in all these, these knobs, which made a beautiful grill.
So these are things you you would out of the out of the moment out of the sky you would learn how to do it. So let's talk about some of the cars you have now. I mean, you've got the best garage around, and plus, if we can just set the scene, uh, how many cars do you have in this office right now? And I'm talking the model car variety. Well, I think. I think we could all quit talk, <laughs> quit adding because we don't have an adding machine big enough to cover it. I'm a toy freak. We, I had toys made for every car that we made, movie, TV, or my own. And uh, many, many builders would come and bring their toys to me because they knew I was a collector and I enjoyed it. And you could see all the different movies and TV shows and and. Yeah, of course, I don't know if you ever remember the good old days, the Oscar Meyer Wiener car. Of course, the Wiener Mobile. <laughs> there it is right up there. And I, uh, I I worked on that car. It was so funny because you have it where you have a, a, a Wiener going down the street. It was just hilarious, but it was just the fun things you could have. They came up and talked to you about that yeah. and, and said, George, we've got a concept where we've got hot dogs. We're trying to have a Wienermobile. Yeah. Where, where did you come up with that concept for the Wienermobile? Well, I figured the best thing in the world is if you're going to have a Wienermobile, it's got to be a Wiener. It's not going to be a car with a Wiener on top of it. Mm -hmm. It's got to be the Wiener. Mm -hmm. And that's how I was able to add that right on top of a, a chassis with the suspension system with four ways and four wheelers that would run down the street easy. See, not a lot of people remember that. They know you from the Batmobile. They know you from a whole plethora of cars. But a lot of people don't remember the Wienermobile connection. Yeah, the Wienermobile, <laughs> just, that was just another one of the wonderful things we had for uh, not only TV and movie and, and even our wonderful dear friend Elvis Presley. I mean, we were doing a limousine for him to show you what kind of a man he was. When I was doing the limousine, I had it out in the shop, and he comes in, to, to, and he says, I, I'd like to take a look at my car. Fine. He says, can I go and talk to your men? He went in and talked to every one of my men that was working on his car and, and gave him all the thrill of talking to Elvis Presley, and then he comes in to us, and we tell him what we're doing, and even to the point that when he's out rehearsing, 4 o'clock in the morning, he calls George. I'd still like to take a ride to Vegas in my bus. I did a bus for him, and we all jumped in the bus. Lo and lo and behold, we're on the road to Vegas. Wow! <laughs> so it, it it was more than just cars. It was people, people, and the things that they loved. And automobiles were the heart, and in the middle of everything that we would enjoy. I don't care. A lot of guys wanted just girls. We we, we wanted we wanted cars. So so in other words, when they say bling, it was all about the chrome, not all about the uh, jewelry. The thrill was uh, to be able to meet each other's wish of what they would like. You know, whether it's a racing-looking car, whether it's a convertible, and that's why our Mercury's. And as you know, our Mercury's is going to be featured as at Pebble Beach this year. All Mercury's, they just informed us, the Hirahata Mercury and all the different Mercury's we won all the awards with are going to be the featured cars 
at Pebble Beach, and that's tough because all you would ever see in, in Pebble Beach is Ferraris, Lamborghinis, good dashes, and Rolls Royces and things like that. It's about time they show good old American cars, George. That's right. The thrill of having cars is what you create. George, you have one of the best garages known to mankind. Let's talk about some of the cars right now that you have in your garage. Well, we got, uh, of course, the number one car in history is the Batmobile. And that was kind of a big thrill to create something that would be number one car forever. And then slid right in behind it was a Model T for the Munster coach. And the interesting thing about that is that I, when they called me and I saw the family, surely my wife and I, we went and got a paper and we cut the paper and we made a six-door Model T. And we put the pad up the back and the producer said, well, where are we going to put Butch? I said, so don't worry. Boom, I put a little kickback on the back of the back seat and put a pad in there. Butch, there you are. Butch being Butch Patrick, who played the son. Like James Dean, when we numbered his car and he took off on the road, I met him at the the gas station. He hits the road and he's going down. And the car was donated to me by the family, and we toured all of the police conventions. I mean, wherever we can go, we can avoid an accident if it's just an accident the way it was. And this was the man made a left turn and he put on the brakes and skidded and hit him. The car was donated to me and it was put on at a police convention in Florida on a truck and come out here seven days later. We open the truck and it's gone. To the day, we still have not found James Dean's car. So we don't know what it is. I, I, and it was in crash condition, I assume, yeah. correct? It was still, we just made it, put it together enough to where you can roll it in and out of a building. We didn't want to lose the effects of what happened and how it happened. And it wasn't his fault. You've had a lot of cars. You've certainly lost a few, uh, whether you sold them or whatever. Is there a car out there that you wish you had back? Well, there, there are some, yes. I, I, I can't say a car. <laughs> I got to say some cars. There was some 32 Fords and, and Hot Rods and, and Mercury's and Chevrolet. Yes, there was. But I think one of the things that you really got to be interested in, I won AMBR, the Grand National Roadster Show, two times in a row. I'm the only person that has won it more than anybody. Mm-hmm. And it's a thrill to do that. And I get, every time I go to the Grand National Show or the where there is hot rods and 32 Fords and everything, they're all the same. They're all the same. And I said, hey, we can't do this. We got to be different. You got to get rid of the peanut headlights and the bullet grills, and then let's let's make some changes. So I'll have to show you a picture of what I'm going to do. Ooh, what do we have here? A hybrid hot rod. Yes, a hybrid. It's going to run on batteries, and here it is. Look at it. So this is going to be today's time, and it's got to be a Ford. We're going to use a Fusion Ford hybrid suspension system and everything else like that. We're going to have Lamborghini doors. George, George, i got to ask you, how old are you? 
Let's see. I got to think about that one. <laughs> it's whether whether I'm talking to the the uh, tax guy or I'm talking to girls. Because <laughs> because you know something, your brain's still going. I can tell you're still trying to come up with the the brand new deuce deuce hot rod here. Well, the main thing is that I have a wonderful wonderful family that. Joji runs the business. Her husband, Barry, is helping me with all electronic. Her son is going out and making up the different pieces that we can get together. So I, I got good support and people that think the same thing as me, and that is do something that's different. Be happy with what you want. That's the first thing you got to do is don't get mean, don't get nasty, don't do that. You don't need it. Be happy here. We're lucky to be in this world the way it is now, mm-hmm. and that being happy is the way to go. Usually I ask, what's the car that you want that you don't have, and would this basically suffice? Well, this is one of them. I'm getting, uh, I'm a made-in-USA guy. The next thing is, is, is a, I'm taking the Ford Lincoln, and I'm going to give it a street Driving, I'll have to show you some sketches because mm-hmm. we're starting. Age. What what year is what about? Are we talking new one? Oh, okay. brand new, one. brand new. Okay, and it's going to be a car that's going to be a uh, again. It's a it's a hybrid, and I'm going to make it look like today's street drivable hot rod. <laughs> You'll crack up when you see it because it really looks good. I'm not going to take away from the car so it's not street legal. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have the red stripes and it's going to have the the uh, suspension system. It's going to have the, the lowered uh, hood design and, and top design. And it's going to be really cute. It's a project where I'm doing it with my grandson and, and Richie Ditchie's another one good good craftsmen that we work with we always got teams we got people that we enjoy see george you think out of the box how is it that you keep thinking out of the box <laughs> where do you what are all your really good ideas come from well, do you think? I, 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 all i gotta do is walk through my place through the my office and my toy room and into joji's batman room and going to the other side and look at all the little things that played in the photos and they just bring back wonderful memories. Over this past weekend, services for Barris were held at Forest Lawn in Hollywood. And as you could imagine, it was a typical Barris event. Hundreds of fans, including yours truly, we brought our classic cars. So we made a long procession to the final resting place. George's casket, which if you haven't seen it, you can see it on our Talking About Cars Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook sites. Again, typical Barris, sporting metal flake lime green paint. Pictures of some of the cars he had something to do with, like the Batmobile, the Munster coach on the side. And yes, the casket had bat wings. And celebrities also came out to honor George. Bo Derek, who was one of the celebrities George made custom vehicles for, she was there, as well as friends and coworkers in the car industry. They all had stories about George Barris. Like Mad Mike from Pimp My Ride fame. Well, George and I was on a TV show together called Car Warriors. And um, actually, <laughs> George is the reason why we couldn't drive the car on the show anymore. Well, we were supposed to test drive the cars up and down the street, for like a quarter mile to test the stop and start and the brake and all that stuff. Well, there was one Cadillac where George laid a trail of rubber 
halfway down the street. And the producers was like, no, 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 you can't do that. But George says, well, if I'm going to judge this car, I'm going to test this car. And, and George was a man of his words, man. He, he could roll some cars. Well, we had a great, a lot of fun together. And he, we would work from 8 o'clock to midnight some days. And, man, George would be there. He'd take his naps every once in a while. And Tony would be right there by his side. But, man, George was a great guy to work with. Love that guy. Mad Mike, Disney Imagineer Bob Gurr. He joined us last season on our uh, Talking About Cars finale. Bob, of course, responsible for many of the vehicles at Disneyland. In fact, he was the one who designed the Autopia cars, all based on European vehicles. Bob was trained by Ford as a car designer, and he had a different story about George Barris. Yes, the Futura was the car that George made into the Batmobile. What most people don't know is that Futura was designed by Bill Schmidt, who was the head of Lincoln Studio in 1952. I worked for George, I mean, I worked for Bill in the Lincoln Studio when I was 20 years old. I saw Bill Schmidt's style. The fact that that car sort of rotted and then George picked it up, Bill Schmidt's old Futura lives today, and I was there when. Bill Schmidt did that car. What did you think of that car when you first saw it? And this is, what, early 50s? Yes. Uh, the thing about the way Bill Schmidt did stuff, if you looked at all his other designs, he had leaning forward hood scoops. He loved double canopies. He liked the back end where the, uh, the center was kind of cut away and the, and the taillights hung way out on the outside of the uh, corners of the car. That was a Bill Schmidt signature. And he, and he talked forward into doing it for the Futura and got away with it. You know, and then the car became a little bit older, sat there, guess who resurrected it? George Barris, and here it is tonight. And didn't he get it for like the sum of one buck or something like that? It was a a minimal amount of money. But you know, some people recognize the value of stuff, some people don't. George saw what he could do with it. Sure, somebody criticized, why did you take a Futura and make it your way? Aha. Because of George, that car lives. Bob Gurr. All sorts of fans and car guys came out to pay their respects, including, yep, a car guy by the name of, and I kid you not, Joey Buttafuoco. First of all, when I was a kid growing up back east, everything George Barris ever did, I read about through the Peterson Publishing, okay? So this is a great story, and it really is. So when I had the opportunity to come to California, everything I read about George Barris was Burbank, was Toluca Lake, was Van Nuys, Van Nuys, California. So I'm like... I can't wait to get to Van Nuys, California. So, of course, when I get here and I go to Van Nuys and I see what's in Van Nuys, I was a little bit shocked and surprised that Van Nuys is what it is. It's not <laughs> Beverly Hills, but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. George Barris, was a, he, was, he was an icon forever. He was an idol and a mentor. I've been in the, the hot rods and bikes all of my life, aside from the other things that happened in my life. So I'm a car guy like him, and this is out of respect. This is a party. This is a celebration of George life. George Barris's life. Don't you agree? Yeah. That's what this is, man. And, and I have many great Barris stories, and that's just one of them. Uh, just a quick note over my shoulder, all these cars that have come out to, uh, to tribute, really, to George, they're pretty amazing wheels. Yeah, these cars that showed up today for, for his celebration is everybody that loved George Barris. And there's hundreds of hot rods here, and everybody that supports that, that culture that he brought alive. He did that. 
George Barris built all of this. He has a he has his fingers in every one of these cars through creativity through all of us who built hot rods. And that's how I feel about George Barris. He was an awesome guy. He's going to be missed. Joey Bonifuco, a car crazy guy. Speaking of car crazy, Barry McGuire, who will join us for an interview here on Talking About Cars in the coming weeks. He had his Barris memories. Oh, my, best George Barris story. There's so many of them. Um, you know, for me, the best George Barris stories are when he's been so greatly honored and to see him honored. I think, you know, and they're very public, but when that when the Batmobile sold for $4.6 million, it was just affirmation for George, you know, We'd had the the, the Merc on the lawn at Pebble. I just looked at him. I just I'm so happy for him, you know, because uh, there there are great cars and great car guys around that that have great appreciation for their own type of cars and don't necessarily look at customs and rods or whatever. George Customs as being up there, and he got honored more than all of them. And I just thought the greatest moment in my life in watching George see him be so honored by. Uh, by the best of the best, you know. It was really, really special. Barry McGuire, during the ceremony, talked about the fact that the Barris family and his family have go so far back that Barris used to show up at McGuire's garage when Barry's dad and relatives were putting together the original McGuire's car waxes and car treatments, and Barris would get certain ones and just drive to his house to pick it up. They didn't ship it. They just drove to the house. You didn't buy them in the stores at the time. And then there was Galpin Auto Sports' Bo Bachman. He remembered his first experiences with George when he was young. I was actually at at uh, Big Daddy Ross show, the first reunion, and, and uh, we, we it was the first time we actually ever did a car show. And uh, George Barris was right in front of us also displaying, and I thought that was like the coolest thing in the world to be you know right across from george barris so my dad comes up and he's like and i'm like hey dad dad george barris he's right here like right here in front of us you know so my dad like kind of chuckles and we walk over and and uh, my dad goes hi george and george looks up and goes hi bert i'm like you know here i thought it was the coolest thing in the world and you know my dad george were old friends you know he he is the best and uh, you know certainly was a, a great influence on me and was always uh, open to all this cool customizing and galvanizing and then george certainly has been a huge influence on me as well and yeah i can't believe uh, i can't believe we're here to be honest uh, it was a real honor and a, a tremendous tribute to George today at the funeral and um, just the words that were spoken and, and Jared and Joji and Brett everyone just did a phenomenal job and, and it just it was so touching and, and to be here and having his memorial service here at Galpin it's yeah, it's really an honor for us but it's really uh, it's really hard too. Galpin Auto Sports is Bo Bachman. Miss her shifter from the 1970s Linda Vaughn, still playing a big part in the classic car industry to this day. She took a moment to share her thoughts on George. Well, that'd take a year to tell you all my favorite stories with George. But one of my highlights of our lives together was the first day I met him. George Hurst introduced me to George Barris and Ed Escuderian. And that started my whole hot rod experience in California, my first trip. That was the opening. And then the closing, I'd have to say, when I was on the committee for SEMA, and we got George Barris put into the SEMA Hall of Fame. That's probably one of the highlights of my life with George because it's something that took a lot of years and a lot of hard work 
And I kept telling George, never give up, never give up. We will get you in the SEMA Hall of Fame. So he called me dream girl, dream girl, dream girl. And uh, <laughs> that's the way I like to say, George, I'll always be your dream girl. Linda Vaughn and Chip Foose. You know him as an accomplished car customizer in his own right. That's car customizer with a C. Chip Foose, he goes way back with George Barris and has his own favorite story. You know, there are so many of them. I remember just from being just a tiny kid hanging out in Gene Winfield's shop when my dad was uh, working with Gene. I remember seeing George at the car shows, and I was just tiny. But I would say the best memory I have is my wife and I went up to Abbotsford, Canada, to a car show. And we left there with George the day before the flight, and we drove down to uh, Vancouver together in a limo. And we just had the greatest time in the limo talking, and George nicknamed us the Honeymooners. And we got to the hotel. We stayed the night in the hotel, and the next morning we were flying out. But uh, he called our room about ten times that night just asking how the Honeymooners were doing. <laughs> and we ended up going to dinner, and it was just that was a, a real special time for both my wife and I to share with George. And uh, to have that nickname, the Honeymooners, he called me that every time he saw me. How's the Honeymooners doing? Yeah, and, uh, you know, George was just in it with 100% heart. And you can see from the crowd here that he touched a lot of lives. See what I mean? Everybody has a car story. And in the coming weeks, we'll have some more of them for you, including Dennis Gage from My Classic Car, Ray Evernham, Rick and Kelly from the TV show American Restorations, along with... NHRA's Shirley Muldowney, Jesse Coombs. We turn the tables on the aforementioned Barry McGuire from Car Crazy as we hear about how he began his love affair with cars. Hey, and we want to hear from you. Email us at talkingaboutcars at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on our own Talking About Cars pages on Facebook and Instagram. And on Twitter, we are Talk N, the letter N, about cars. Apparently some guy in England grabbed the Talking About Cars one. So we have, on Twitter, Talk N about cars. <laughs> Look for our TAC logo. And until next week, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me next time as we have some fun talking about cars. See and drive the car with the look, the feel, the power of success. The 56 Dodge, value leader of the forward look. 